Scripture reading this afternoon will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. For this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put their laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is no remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. Well, let me begin by saying how much I appreciate the presence of all those that are here. Uh, it is very encouraging to me to see you uh, return this afternoon, uh, middle of the day, uh, when I'm normally taking a nap or having closed my eyes in the recliner. Uh, but I do appreciate very much uh, your presence here this evening, afternoon. Uh, before I get into uh, the lesson tonight, it was, I, I think I mentioned this this morning, uh, the idea of kind of how songs uh, can be used to uh, relate to ideas. And uh, looking at the topics over the course of the week, I think Josh got the best, he drew the best straw, uh, the easiest one, so to speak. Uh, to songs that can be led to uh, kind of keep our minds centered on a, on a particular theme or topic. Uh, so Josh gets up and says what he says, and I'm thinking, okay, my sermon's been preached. Uh, we can all keep on, we'll try to expand a little bit upon uh, what has been de described. Why don't you take just a moment of time and Think about what our, our young brother read to us from Hebrews chapter 10 and about the, the sacrifices that were offered. Just kind of imagine how an Israelite, a Jew, would be 
working about his day, making plans for days ahead, how he would go out to the field or maybe the corral somewhere, and he would find that lamb. He would find that goat, that bull. And he would gather it up and he would make the trek to the priest. And he would see that priest go through the process of killing that animal, seeing that blood shed, and realize that he's seeing this take place and it's being offered as a sacrifice against his own sins. The animal hadn't done anything wrong. Now I want you to think about it. If you, if you can kind of picture that and get a, get a scene in your mind of, of that taking place, however it may have, have, uh, have transpired in time, then to think about that taking place thousands upon thousands upon millions of times. And if we think about the time frame for when the temple was built in Jerusalem, before that, the, wherever the, the tabernacle was, the Ark of the Covenant was, and the altars and such that had been uh, erected and designated for that purpose of having a lamb come and a priest going through the process of having that animal being offered as a sacrifice. And, and, and I don't know that we can ever really visually comprehend the rivers of blood that was shed from those millions of sacrificed animals through the thousands of years before Christ come. But even if we cannot visualize that scene, one thing that is very clear, one thing that we can understand is that none of that blood, not one single drop of it, could ever take away someone's sins. That's what we had read for us in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse, or yeah, chapter 10 and verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It doesn't matter how much blood was shed, none of it was going to take away the sins of that individual that was bringing that animal to the priest. But there is something that that blood did. And that is that that blood pointed to something tremendously important. It pointed to the sacrifice of Jesus and the blood that he would shed. John chapter 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the millions of animals that have been sacrificed, all the lambs, the bulls, the goats, all those animals and all the blood that was shed could do nothing, but John realizes 
Jesus. And did you notice what he calls him? The Lamb of God. Who take away the sins. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. Again, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So when the Bible, the New Testament tells us about Christ, it's telling us about how he willingly shed his blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Just a quick note on the idea of willingly. No one took his life. No one killed Jesus. Jesus gave himself. Reading John it he gave up the spirit. All had been accomplished. It was a free will offering. And what we need to understand that is if we're a Christian, that, that when you believe in the blood of Christ, it's because of the faith in that blood that is essential to us being a child of God. Now, an example of what we are talking about the essentialness of the blood of Jesus Christ, what Jesus said about the people eating his flesh and drinking his blood is obviously involves faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You get, oh, this is where my timing is going to wreak havoc on me. I'm trying to follow along with myself up here, and I'm clicking here and thinking it's clicking there, and it's not. But we want to go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And notice what is said there. John chapter 6, beginning of verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So what the New Testament is telling us, that obviously we don't drink the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have a storehouse of it somewhere. We're not reproducing it somewhere. We're not literally drinking his blood. But we're doing it by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. In drinking his blood. We don't literally drink. But we do figuratively drink of his blood. And when we drink of that, he says that we have life. And if you're not drinking of that blood, you don't have life. The second way that we know that faith in Christ's blood is essential as a part of being a child of God is part, it is part of believing in Jesus. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Beginning at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. 
Now, even though some of the text may translate that a little differently, what is very clear is that faith in Jesus in verse 26 involves faith in his blood from verse 25. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be made just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And did you catch the phrase in verse 25? What do we have faith in? We have faith in his blood. He's a propitiation by his blood through faith. There's a connection there of having faith in Jesus and having faith in his blood. So when we talk about believing in his blood, we're not just talking about believing that Jesus died and that when he, like every other human, was cut open, that his blood poured forth. That's That's not all that we're talking about. It's not just believing that there was a man hanging on the cross and that his blood came off of him and was removed from his body. We're talking about believing in Jesus' blood that was shed with the idea that it is a propitiation and it is, has saving power in his blood. We also know that faith in Christ's blood is essential because people who despise Christ's blood, well, they're going to be condemned. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 29, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which we was sanct- by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Friends, what I want us to see is that these things, this idea of having faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, it is essential to us being a child of God. It is essential to us being a Christian. And so while it is possible for someone to believe Believe even in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and not be a Christian. It is not possible for you to be a Christian without believing in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to go through some Bible teaching and show us what we as Christians believe about the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, this word redeemed that is used here is the idea of being released through a a payment of ransom. Someone's being held hostage. Uh, The person that is holding someone hostage says, I will release them if you give me X amount of dollars or, or you give me this, that, or the other. When that price is paid, then... They are released. They are, the ransom has been paid. They are then redeemed. A very crude way of of thinking about this and uh, maybe a little more uh, simple way is to think about how we redeem coupons. Uh, 
little sheet of paper that, that says 50% off or a dollar off or something like that, and, you, and somebody gives you something, that's worth something. But it can sit in your purse, it can sit on the dresser, it can sit on the desk for ages. Not do anything until it is used. But then you go and you redeem, and so then you take that coupon in and you get that, you get that discount. You get that benefit. So when the Bible is telling us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, saying that Christ gave his own life as a ransom to set us free from sin, and that he set us free from our former life, there's freedom that we enjoy. And it's like that freedom that is mentioned in John chapter 8 and verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Freedom comes through the truth. It comes through the gospel. Well, when we turn to Romans chapter 6, when we look at Romans chapter 6 and what verses 17 and 18 tells us, it says that we're free through the gospel that comes when we are obedient to the gospel, when we take an action, when we make use of that coupon, so to speak. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, you are, you have, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Freedom comes from the truth. The truth shall set you free. Paul tells us that it, we're set free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we obey the gospel, when we obey from our heart. We are delivered and made free. And Peter tells us that freedom is all possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ, as, with a, as the lamb without blemish and without spot, we're redeemed. We're set free. We just sang the song. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Not only do we see what Peter tells us concerning the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption that comes, but notice what we see in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Having much more than now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, this word justified, it denotes being made or declared right. The way the sinful man can be made or declared right is by being forgiven of everything that they've done wrong. We're again familiar with the, the judicial system where a, a, a courtroom scene and a judge can stand there. He can hear all the evidence. He can hear the testimony. And he then declares, you're free. You've been made right. Forgiven of whatever wrong has been committed. And we're justified by his blood. 
We're made right. We're declared that you are right. You are declared as made whole. We're justified by Christ's blood through the forgiveness that his blood makes possible. John writes in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14, And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, Those who are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Justified by the blood of the Lamb. Not only redeemed, not only justified, but also grace is involved. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Since grace means unmerited favor, what Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 is saying is that we didn't deserve redemption. It's not anything that we did that we deserve that for God to look at us and redeem us, buy us back, or justify us and make us right. Grace is involved. We gain those things because of God's grace. And again, it's connected with the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 3. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, this word near, or some translations might say not, what that means is it's coming close, getting near to someone. So the text is saying that, that we've been brought back to God. We are brought closer to God. We are brought next to God. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Not anything that we did. We're brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, we have to be brought nigh because of what we understand from Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, that it's our sins that separates us from God. That's putting the, the division between us. Our actions, our wrongdoings causes us to be separate from God. But what I want you to see is that the Bible shows that the blood of Jesus Christ draws us back together. One more, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I hope that uh, after what Josh said, giving us the heads up that songs we're going to be singing are to be going to be connected with the thoughts of the lesson tonight. And just when I read that verse, are you thinking about the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, even though there are scoffers, 
there are skeptics. That there are modernists who would mock and even ridicule the gospel. They would look at that and say, that's a slaughterhouse religion. I want us to understand. I want us to be reminded. As real Christians, we believe we have faith in the power of Christ's blood that was sacrificed for us. It's essential to being a child of God. Now, the way we can kind of wrap this all up, so to speak, is to think about some ways that we as Christians display our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. One way that we show faith in Christ's blood is when we observe the Lord's Supper. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're showing our faith in Jesus' blood. We're showing that we believe, not again, not only that Jesus hung on the cross and that his blood spilled forth out of his body, but we believe in the power. We believe in what it can do for those who are obedient to his instructions. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. Jesus is talking with his disciples. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, we can, we can talk about the literal aspect of things just thinking about this scene. Jesus is literally in person sitting with his disciples, talking to them and fully aware and alive and blood not been shed. But he hands them this cup, fruit of the vine, and says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he made the fruit of the vine symbolize his blood. And so one way that Christians display our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ is when we partake of that fruit of the vine. Faith that we have. That foundational concept when we drink of the fruit of the vine. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and gives them some guidance and information about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It goes on in chapter 11 and comes back to this idea of the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And he reminds them of what we just read in Matthew chapter 26. But here he's just giving this, this hint, this idea, this cup of blessing. Is it not the communion with the blood of Christ? See, when we have faith in the blood and the power of the blood, 
we display that faith when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Another way that we display faith in the blood of Jesus Christ is in the songs that we sing. I mentioned earlier the idea that, you know, Josh really got, got the, the, easy, the easy lesson, so to speak. I, there's any number of songs in this hymn book and many, and any others, many others that, that remind us of these facts, these concepts, these biblical teachings about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we show our faith in, in the blood by the things that we sing. There is a fountain. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Christ. How about the hymn, I Am Coming, Lord? When we sing that hymn, and the words, I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee, for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary. If you really believe in the power of Christ's blood, you're not going to be ashamed at all to, to sing those songs. You're going to be enthusiastic. You're going to be excited to remind yourself and to teach and admonish others through those words of, I believe in the power of Jesus, and these are the things that it can do for you and has done for me. But perhaps the deepest way of all of expressing our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ by the confidence that we have in God's forgiveness when we do what he requires to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. I think sometimes people have a haunting fear that God still holds their sins against them. That God doesn't really forgive them. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, then that's the way you ought to feel because your sins have not been forgiven. Because you've not come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's blood has not been used to wash away your sins. But someone who really has obeyed the gospel can have confidence. They can have a peace. You can have an assurance from the forgiveness that God grants because you believe in the power of the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, when we really obey the gospel, we have confidence that the blood of Jesus Christ has been used 
to wipe the slate clean. He's washed all of our sins away. And we'll close the study by telling you this exactly when a person is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Actually, everywhere the New Testament tells us how to be saved, it's telling us how to be saved by Christ's blood. And that's because, remember, there is salvation by no other means. That's the only way that salvation comes, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. So anytime we read any passage of Scripture within the New Testament that talks about someone being obedient to the gospel, someone being saved, someone receiving forgiveness, someone receiving justification, it all is happening because the blood of Jesus Christ. And perhaps one of the best places to answer the question of when a person is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ is to go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. Paul, in his dissertation, if you will, writing this to the Christians in Rome, discussing to, with them the how man is justified and, and acknowledging that man is, uh, is in sin. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. Well, what do we need to do? Well, you need to be justified. Well, how, is, uh, how, how do we become justified? And he, and he uses the illustration of Abraham. Abraham was justified by his faith. What was it that Abraham did? Abraham had faith and he did something then was justified, and Paul makes that correlation with us. Well, we're justified when we do something as well. Romans chapter 6, beginning of verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we, are, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. When are we saved by his blood? It's when we're united with him in death. It's when a person who believes in Jesus Christ as the Son of God repents of their sins, acknowledges their wrongdoings, and says, I'm turning away from those things. And then they become united with Christ in his death, being baptized. That's when the blood of Jesus Christ washes away sins. And I'll go ahead and just let you know. It's a fascinating thing for me to consider how the blood of Jesus, red, we often, when we, when we cut ourselves, we, blood gets on our clothes or on things, we, we real quick, we want to we want to wipe that up. We want to get that out because it stains. It's fascinating for me to think about that 
blood that was literally shed is what is making us clean and whole and how it is tied with the waters of baptism. When we unite ourselves with Christ's death by being baptized, that's when he is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ when they die to sin. And that blood washes away the sin. And the, uh, the Bible tells us that we're raised to walk in newness of life. It's a, it's a new being. Good illustration of someone being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ is, is seen, I believe, in Paul's uh, conversion. And we look in Acts chapter 22 it, as he is recounting his conversion. Acts chapter 22, he's standing before uh, the, the crowd in Jerusalem. He's, he's giving his defense. He reminds them of how he traveled down to, to Damascus and, and how the, the light shone around him and he fell to the ground and, and he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When he responds and asks who it is, he is made clear who he is, that it is Jesus of Nazareth. He's given instructions. You need to go into Damascus. You need to find Ananias. You'll be told all the things that you need to do. He's led into Damascus. Ananias meets up with Saul. He came to him. He stood before him and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Verse 14 of Acts chapter 22, then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now obviously Ananias was not saying that water was going to wash away his sins being baptized immersed in water now we use water to clean things up maybe a spot on our upholstery in our vehicle maybe something uh, on the counter and we'll we'll get some water and we'll take it and we can we can use that water and, and clean some things up But remember, we have already seen that the Bible makes it very clear that sins can only be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The time that when sins are washed away is the time when one arises and is baptized. See, Ananias didn't tell Saul, arise and be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. That's what a lot of people would teach in the world today. You're going to go and you're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed in water. And that's just an outward sign of something that's already taken place. I hope we understand from this example here. Ananias is telling Saul, you need to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. It's not the water that's going to do it. What's going to wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Ananias is telling Saul, you need to have your sins forgiven. You need to come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. You do that through baptism. 
someone who's already become a Christian, and then they fall away. They turn again to the temptations of the world. How is it that they then can have their sins forgiven? Well, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we have to understand that even after we become a child of God, it's not anything magical that's going to take our sins away. It's going to happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what John tells us in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment, which is the word which you heard from the beginning. If I'd get in chapter 1 and not verse chapter 2. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even after we become a child of God and we sin, how do we get our sins washed away? How are we then made right again when sin separates us and we go far away? How how are we made, made nigh to God? It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can cleanse us of sins. So we ask ourselves the question tonight. Some questions that are often asked when we sing songs of encouragement and exhortation. Are you washed in the blood? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? In the hymn we sing, there's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Faith in the blood of Jesus Christ is essential to us being a child of God. It's what washes away our sins. It's what can, it's only, the only thing that continually can wash away our sins. When we act in obedience to God and follow his instructions, repent of our sins, confess the faith in, in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and be baptized, buried with him, raised to walk in newness of life, having our sins washed away. There may be those this afternoon that realize that's what you need to do. You have sin in your life. You want to have them washed away. Not anything that you can do of a ritual nature. Not any checklist of things that that you're going to be able to do that's going to take away your sins. What's going to take away your sins? The blood of Jesus Christ. When we act by faith in that blood, God will cleanse us. There may be those this this afternoon that realize, I've done that in the past, but I've turned away from him. Now's the time. Today is the day of salvation. Do you have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ?
we allow it to cleanse you of your sins so you can be made clean and justified in his sight. There are some means by which we can encourage. We hope we can do so through the song that we'll stand and sing.